Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey, hey guys, welcome to the ZonCon podcast. I'm Andrew Erickson, your host. We are coming to you the last week in March right now, and I am here with Jeff Lieber. He is an awesome guy that I met at a local meetup here in San Diego, California. Today, we're going to talk about Jeff's origin story, about how he got started and sold his business and then pivoted into an agency. So it's like a fun story. We all kind of have that aspiration to start and sell a business, right? It's kind of the entrepreneurial dream. So I'm very excited to hear how Jeff did that. We're also going to cover a little bit of coronavirus stuff, right? So it's very, very topical. And of course, this stuff is changing very quickly. So we're going to talk probably a little more high level rather than stuff to do like tomorrow because the virus is changing so quickly. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, but Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Andrew. Really appreciate it. And yeah, definitely crazy times right now with the virus and hope that everyone's, you know, doing all they can to stay healthy. Yes. Let's just give a little bit of PSA on the virus right now. It is growing. It's important to have social distancing and uh, just be super safe. Hand washing with social distancing is the most important thing. And make sure to go to reliable sources of information. Johns Hopkins is a good information to see the spread of the virus. And uh, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, is a good place to learn about preventative measures. Don't listen to a bunch of like conspiracy Facebook groups. Go make sure you get valid information. So uh, just be safe, guys. Absolutely. So, okay, Jeff, let's hear your origin story. So you told me, so I, let's set the scene. You told me, so we were at a bar with some other seven, eight figure sellers at, uh, in San Diego, California, and bumped into you and you told me you had this awesome agency and you started a brand and you sold it. And I was like, oh my God, Jeff, you got to come on my podcast. So tell me, like, when did you start and kind of like, how did you go about building your business? Yeah, sure. So I started in 2014. So I was able to get in at a good time when it was just early on starting out the the Amazon craze. And so I was working a full time job up in San Francisco doing healthcare consulting. And, you know, I always had sort of the entrepreneur marketing bug. I was always studying it, but, you know, had bought stuff or, you know, would watch trainings, but never really took full action to really, you know, start a real, real business. And I finally was able to, you know, pull the trigger on it and say, I'm just going to dive all in. Even if I, you know, lose money on this, I'm just going to, you know, see it through and launch a product and see what happens. And so that's what I did. And one thing I would recommend to not do is what I did to get started, which was I bought a 20 foot container of one SKU and it cost me about, I think, over $15,000 to ship it. And yeah, that, that product did not sell super fast right away. It took about a year to sell through that container. And so it was a rough, bumpy start. I didn't realize that you could just start with like a $300 order, like a normal person and air freighted over. And so luckily, you know, they, I was able to turn it into a pet products brand and it did ended up doing pretty well and, and launched more products after that, that did even better than that one. And so that was kind of how I got started. Nice. So uh, don't buy full containers on your first order. That's that's the moral of the story, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, did that whole thing. And- How'd you get into it though? So 2014 actually was really early in the private label world. I started the mid late 2015, mm-hmm. and it already was like a little established at that point. But it it was still like 
now that I talk to people about the private label thing, everyone's like, oh my God, four years ago, five years ago, you've been in this business so long. I'm like, it's not that long. <laughs> so how, like, how did you learn about it? How did you like go about like starting? I actually can't even remember who emailed me, but you know, I was on marketing entrepreneur type lists and someone was promoting ASM, an online Amazon course. And so that was how I originally got started. And from there, I just, you know, got into and anything I get my hands on, you know, whether it's YouTube, podcasts, you know, follow Ryan Moran very closely. And so, yeah, just however I could to learn over the years, that was how I got into it. Nice. That's awesome. So also, I think that I think that itch, that drive to, to start something, I think is really important. Okay. So you start the business, you, you order a full 20 foot container. And then like, so you drop 15,000 there. And then do you, you just added a few more SKUs and then you grew the business up to, uh, if you don't mind, do you mind sharing numbers on stuff? Yeah. So yeah, we, we grew it. Let's see. Then we started launching more SKUs within the first year. Cause that first product wasn't, you know, crushing it. And so luckily it came out with some, some more products in the same space. So we built a pet products brand around that. And then my sister told me that she said, can I borrow some of your products for my, my boys? They were two and four years old at the time. And so I didn't know that some of my products worked for her babies. And so she's like, Jeff, you know, this could be a, a baby brand as well. So then I spun that off as a baby brand as well and launched a couple of SKUs there. And so I was managing both brands nice, um, and, and grew that. And then my friend's dad approached me. We met and launched a dog toy together that he invented, and I helped him bring it to market through Kickstarter and oh, Amazon wow. and stuff like that. And so, yes, that was a separate business that we sold as well. And so, yeah, so that was kind of how we got got through, you know, those those brands in the initial phases. But wow, yeah. that's cool. So, tell me a little bit more about the selling process. I know it's been a few years, so it's probably changed, but like. I want to know first the mindset of why to sell instead of just holding it. And second, like the actual practical things you did to sell. Yeah, sure. So looking back, like I said, all of a sudden I was managing two of my own brands. I was co-managing another, a third brand. And then in that time, because I was having good success on Amazon, you know, a couple a friend that had launched a Kickstarter with, with sunglasses, they had a great brand. They asked for help on Amazon. And so I just started helping them on the side and then they referred a couple friends and then all of a sudden I had a few, you know, consulting clients and I wasn't even trying to grow that part of it. I wasn't, it wasn't an agency. It was just kind of me and, and my, my team. So all of a sudden I was managing like four different businesses essentially, right? For each brand was a different thing. and It was super stressful and I was, yeah, not, not as happy as I wanted to be. Uh, at the end of the day, I was like, man, I got in, I quit my day job to, to have freedom and to have time and to do what I want. And now I've just created like four miserable jobs all at once, you know, and each, each of them was kind of growing equally slowly because I couldn't give it the, the due, you know, time that it, that it should have been due. And so I just made a personal decision. This for happiness is I need to choose one and focus on it. And I wanted to sell out however I could of each of the businesses. And so I did that within about a year period. I was able to get out of all the businesses because I realized I wanted to, I enjoyed the most was helping other people's brands. And the reason that was, was because I wasn't great at sourcing products. I actually didn't like you know, talking with my Chinese suppliers late at night and, you know, having sample shift and quality control checks and all the headaches that come with that. I wasn't great at that. And I had a really hard time hiring that out. 
And so we, we weren't growing as fast as I wanted because I just didn't, I had a resistance. I didn't want to launch more products. And so, but I really enjoyed the marketing part and the Amazon part. And I had that nailed. And so I was like, why don't I just do that for other people? Let them do what they're great at. And we will do, you know, what we're great at for them on Amazon. And so that was my personal journey for what, why I decided to sell, you know, to, to your question, but everyone's going to have a different journey for, for, you know, reasons for, for selling. Nice. So basically lifestyle, was it, you don't have to share numbers if you don't want to, but was it, was it like a nice liquidation event or is it kind of medium or how, how'd that go? Yeah, it was definitely a nice one. So one, my pet products brand, like that was a really nice one. And then the other, you know, the, the pet and baby brand was a nice one. And then the pet products toy, you know, was wanted to exit out of that. So I got out of that kind of early. So didn't, didn't really make much because I wanted to leave it to my partner. And so, yeah, that was kind of the process nice. there. But I definitely learned a lot about selling a business and made some mistakes if you want to <laughs> learn any of those. Yeah, let, let's hear. Okay, so now we have the mindset. Basically, it was lifestyle was the mindset, right, for selling. And then I want to hear practical, like why, like how did you go about doing it? What were the practical steps to doing it? And also uh, maybe like the emotions around <laughs> the whole thing too are, are would be good to talk about. Sure. So as far as the selling process, so, you know, I just first encountered a couple of people that had sold a business, just like what you're doing. I started asking them about their process and realized, wow, you can really, you know, make a nice cash flow exit there. And so that was a big reason why. And so I just simply went out and found like, I think three or four different companies that were like brokers, you know, website or e-commerce brokers and contacted them and they'll talk to you for free, typically, at least, you know, to, to learn if it's a good fit. And so I started that process and, you know, didn't get a good feel for some of them, but then got a really good feel for one particular broker. And so, and the reason was because he told me I actually was not ready to sell the business right now. It wasn't sellable. He's like, you need to do these three things. You, know, you need to put a team in place, you need to have systems, and you need to have your bookkeeping in place. That was, I did not have cleaned up books where I could just produce a P&L up to date as of yesterday, right? And so he's like, go get those things done and come back to me in, in a couple of months. And so that was what I did. Went to work, cleaned everything up and came back and he's like, okay, you're ready to sell. And it's a lot more sellable. It'll be a lot more appealing to a buyer and it'll have a higher valuation because of the things that I, that I put in place. And so, so yeah, so then I just chose that broker over everyone else and, you know, made sure it was a fair agreement where I'm not married to the person for, you know, 10 years. Like he doesn't have 10 years to sell the business. He's got a time frame on what he needs, how long he can be trying to sell my business. And yeah, so then we went through that process, got it all ready to, to launch the market. And you want to make it as appealing as possible to a buyer, right? And so for me, I was really trying to sell one, our numbers and that we're growing. But two, you know, we've got the team in place. You could buy it tomorrow and it'll keep running and growing. And so that was really appealing to a lot of buyers. And so we kind of were able to get a number of bids in the very early process. So they were bidding against each other, which actually bid, you know, the asking price up and yeah. And then from there, it's just trying to you know negotiate and sign sign that deal with the buyer that you feel really confident about. One tip I would give is, is to try to, you know, because typically after you sign, what happened with me is we went into a due diligence period. It was like 45 days. And what happened was that first buyer backed out on day mm. like 44. Right. And because technically he had put no money down, no deposit, no anything. And he for any reason under the sun, he can back out. And so. Now, that was the first crucial mistake that I made was I wish I would have vetted the buyer more and either taken a deposit, like a, just a 
you know, deposit up front. If you want me to take this off the market, you need to put down whatever, a 1% deposit or a $5,000 deposit, anything that, that, you know, is substantial enough that they have at least some skin in the game that, yeah, a buyer might be scared and say, you know, if they're just window shopping, they may be like, no, I'm not going to give you five grand, you know, like I need to see the numbers, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, okay, look, then ask me for the numbers. I'll give you all of my, you know, due diligence info as much as you need to make your decision. But I don't want to be wasting time or killing the momentum of selling my business or putting red flags on my business that, you know, a buyer backed out. That can look really, really bad. And so that was just one crucial tip that, you know, slowed us down. We lost some momentum and had to kind of restart the process and reach back out to buyers. And we had a bit of a red flag on our business. And so even though it wasn't for a bad reason, but, you know, that's what people will believe. And so it ended up taking about seven or eight months, I believe, to to sell the business from start to finish. But yeah, but was able to get it done. And that was one of the coolest, coolest days of my life. Nice. Awesome. So recap, the important thing is get your books and get your processes set up and get their hiring set up so that you're really selling a business and not just a job. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so proper, proper books is really important. And that's one thing we changed over this last year is we had a good accountant helping us and we have monthly calls talking about P&Ls and stuff. And it really helps a lot just for clarity on your own business, but also for selling. For selling, it helps a lot. And then also earnest money. I know when you do real estate, usually like for investment properties, they'll make you, they'll usually have something like a $1,000 or $3,000 earnest money that's fully refundable inside the first 10 days. Just to make sure like, yeah, just put a little bit of cash down so you're not just like you said, window shopping. And then usually another $5,000 on top of that is is non-refundable from day 10 to 20 or whatever it is. So it, yeah, I think that's really important to put earnest money down. That's that's a good little lesson to learn from that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So you run an agency where you work with lots of different people and brands and uh, you... Oh, wait, we should talk about coronavirus first, right? Yeah, we should probably talk about that. I think that's what everyone is concerned with right now. So happy to to talk about that. Okay. So, well, my preface is still true. You, you still work with lots of brands and you're talking to all these different people about the coronavirus stuff right now. So just for timeliness, we this is March 23rd, if we're going to put a date on this. So just be weary because the thing's changing quickly. Do you want to give us your little your take on the virus and what to do about it? Yeah, I mean, right now it's changing every day, number one. And so, you know, what we're saying today could be different than than what it is because Amazon's policies are changing. So make sure that you're staying up to date with Amazon's policies. We're trying to post that as often as possible on our blog at Turnkey Product Management. So we're just because we have to stay on top of it ourselves, right, because we're managing clients, you know, businesses, you know, managing eight figures on Amazon. And so. And some of our clients, you know, a couple of them have, have really taken a bit of a sales hit, you know, as they're, you know, running out of stock. And some of the, some, you know, one of the big things is the shipping changes that Amazon put down where they're really trying to focus more on the essential categories like the toilet paper and the sanitizers. That makes sense for sure. And they got to do what they got to do. And so one of the biggest things I think to take away right now at this time is to look at your shipment options. So number one is like, if you can make shipments and send it into Amazon FBA still today, when you're listening to this, like go test it out, do a test shipment. Even if you don't ship it, just see if you can do it. If you can, then I would recommend that you try to get fully stocked as, as fast as possible, right? And and maybe stock really aggressively if you can afford it, you know, putting a couple months worth of inventory if possible. And another thing is that it's possible that Amazon might be shutting down your, your category from sending an additional inventory 
you know, any day now, you know, they might go to the subcategory level, who knows? And so the tip there is to try to make sure that you have FBM fulfilled by merchant or seller fulfilled listings on your products, right? And so you can take orders and ship it not from Amazon FBA, but ship it from a third party warehouse or from your garage or, or wherever you can ship products from. And so if you don't have that set up, then I think that's your first order of business is try to make sure you you know, line up those backup fulfillment options, you know, go find third party warehouses, you know, online and contact them and vet them as, you know, if you don't have that set up and, and see if they can help you during this time. And, you know, but make sure to really do due diligence as possible. Some of those fulfillment centers may even shut down themselves in the next few weeks, you know, who, who knows what might happen. And so that's why I think you just really do your due diligence and talk to your, you know, communicate over communicate during this time, talk with your suppliers, talk with your warehouses or third-party warehouses and, and ask them what their plans are. Will they be able to keep it going, you know, if need be? Because if you can still keep taking orders on Amazon and fulfilling it out of a third-party warehouse, you, you could be one of the few sellers that did that in time. And your sales could actually be higher than they've ever been because a lot of sellers are going to run out of stock and they didn't plan for this. And so the more that you can plan for these worst-case scenarios, I think it's going to set you up for success and to survive it and to actually thrive during this really, really tough, challenging period. Yeah. And let, let's clarify what those rules are for shipping right now. So again, this is March 23rd, so the rules might change. But my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, is that the Amazon basically restricted the categories down to baby, health, sanitation, industrial, or the scientific industrial category. And then there's, is there one more? Pet supplies, pets, pets. beauty and personal care, and yeah, grocery. But yeah, I mean, it could could be changing. Sure. So anything. so basically, sports, sports and outdoors, home and garden, and some of the other big categories are they're restricting you from creating a shipping plan right now. And that restriction, as of right now, is until April fifth. So that's two weeks from recording. And that is some people think that's gonna. <laughs> be pushed out. So I would plan, we're personally planning for six weeks. We're planning on our shipping restriction to be lifted by the end of April. I have no justification why we pick that date. That's just what we pick for our, our logistics. If you have shipments that are already created, you can still ship them and Amazon will still receive them. And I've confirmed with several people that that is true. They did have received recently. And we have stuff I think being received like right now, basically. It's just creating new shipments is the problem. So if you are doing like sea shipping, you can basically get around it because you don't have to, because the shipping label or shipping order doesn't have to be created until later. So anyways, just be mindful of it. Look it up and just be mindful of it. Yeah. Yep. And again, these things are changing. So we're trying to stay on top of it. So yeah, actually, we just put together, we call it how to survive and thrive on Amazon during the coronavirus. And we're literally updating it daily as things are changing. And so we put that together with all the you know current challenges that we're seeing and the, the changes on Amazon and the solutions. So if that would be helpful, we, we put that as a free report on our website, turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash resource. It should be the top resource that's listed there. So check that out. We are trying to keep it as up to date as possible, but also make sure to you know check with, with Amazon itself and everything they're updating. So and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So that's turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash resource. So good. Okay. So we have logistics. So let's cover how to handle the prime shipping seems to be affected right now. Do you notice? I'm sure you noticed that like 
that was like 36 hours ago is when it kind of hit, I guess. Some categories are showing that they're prime shipped. So this is FBA prime shipped products aren't actually going to be delivered until the end of April. They're, they're reporting delivery dates on April 20th, April 25th, May 1st, something like that. And so that's a whole month from time of recording. And so what do you think people should do about that? Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to lining up your own fulfillment options as a backup or even you know, if you're in that case, you might want to, you know, activate your seller fulfilled listing. If you, if your warehouse can ship it faster than that, then put that listing up. And that, that's again, going to give you an edge over your competitors who haven't done that. So that that's one workaround. Another thing, yeah, I completely agree. Another thing I'd add to that is if your products are being delayed, just be on top of your PPC because your PPC conversions might go down dramatically <laughs> if you have one month shipping, unfortunately. So just be on top of it. Just be really aware and conscious of everything. And I will also give a little piece of another piece of advice. That restriction is changing constantly. The people I've talked to have... I personally haven't seen it yet on my products yet. Yet. <laughs> But I have noticed that it changes based on zip code and also changes kind of day to day. So sometimes we'll have estimate delivery April 23rd. And then 12 hours later, it's estimate delivery of, you know, whatever, March 29th or something. So be just look at it. And also you can change your zip code. If you go on to Amazon.com, there's like a zip code button or whatever. You can just change the shipping address and it'll show you the delivery time. And so we picked eight different zip codes across the country, just kind of different corners, just to see we're not being affected. Our two-day shipping is more like three or four-day shipping right now, but we're not personally not being affected yet, but it's definitely out there. Yeah, no, that's a really good tip. So yeah, go test out your product to see what it's showing up as, you know, log in in incognito mode or from someone else's phone or something like that, just to see what it's showing up as for a normal buyer. And yeah, I mean, if you're showing one month ship times, you know, you may want to reduce your PPC budgets to get a lot, at least a lot more focused and narrow. Like don't be doing crazy, you know, broad campaigns that maybe aren't, weren't converting anyways. Now they're definitely not going to convert. And so yep. now's the time just to get more conservative as far as, you know, getting focused on those, those proper keywords. Yep. Also, a lot of people might see an increase in sales too, which would be nice those increase in sales can obviously happen because your product is in high demand. So if you sell sanitation wipes, like you're bad for society, but good for you that that like you have a product that's in high demand right now. It also I know some people who sell like baby wipes or some like dog diapers, whatever these kind of like weird sanitation products and, and those things are going through the roof right now. There's some home gym, some supplements kind of pro health supplements that are going through the roof right now. Okay, let's say that we our sales are actually higher. They're doubling. Let's just say they're doubled. What what our baseline is, what should we do with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to your particular situation. But if if you know, what one is monitor your inventory levels, right? Because you don't want to run out of stock if you can avoid it. And so let's say your, your sales have just naturally doubled because of the demand. You know, one possible thing, if you're going to run out of stock of inventory is you could possibly reduce your PPC spend and budget. So that will help slow down sales. You could also start inching up your prices a little bit, a little bit at a time if you wanted to slow down your sales and increase your profit margins as well. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on, on what your situation is. If you have enough inventory to sustain it, you know, then that's, that's really great for you, but uh, it depends on your particular scenario. Yep. I completely agree with everything you just said. And another thing I'll add is you can monitor the inventory levels of your competition. You might get to a spot 
where in two weeks you're you're potentially the only one left with that product, or maybe instead of there being 20, you know, there's only three people left with that product. So do monitor that. There's software that'll do that for you, but you can also do the 999 trick. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. <laughs> It'll tell you it's all over the internet. It'll tell you how to how to look. You can just for free, you can kind of spy on the inventory levels of your competition. 999 trick. Cool. Okay. But any anything else on the coronavirus before we move on to something else? I think those are the big ones as of right now. I mean, we've got a few other smaller tips in a, but in our report, but I don't think it's worth covering right now. But yeah, just stay up to date on it for sure. Yep. And do check out Jeff's resource, turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash resource. Again, link is in the show notes. Okay, so let's not panic. We're all fine. Okay, and <laughs> let's talk about stuff that's important not in the next week or three, but something that's very important three, six months, maybe in the next year or two. So let's also, one thing I always tell people, yes, make sure you watch you are agile and you're adjusting how you should be. But let's not forget that we are building businesses that are lasting one year, one decade, not one week, one month, right? So yes, stay up to date with everything, but let's talk about things like bigger, broader things that are important a year from now. So Jeff, you told me that you have sort of like the biggest mistakes that brands make. I want to hear what are these big mistakes, some of the big mistakes that brands are, are making right now in general, not right now like this week, but in general. <laughs> yeah. So one of them is that they're not actually building a brand. They are just opportunity seekers where they see a hot product in this niche and then they launch that and then they do another one in that niche and they launch that and they're just taking orders on Amazon and they're, you know, they're getting good cash flow, hopefully, but they're not building a brand or building an asset. And so that's number one, especially in times like this, that's where I think that building a brand can help save you because if you're building that brand, not just on Amazon, but even off Amazon, and that means building an audience and trying to take your customers and communicate with them outside of Amazon, whether it's through an email list or on your website or any way, any medium that you can on social media, that's a really, really great way to help control your audience and not be at the limbo of what's Amazon gonna give me this week. Because as we're seeing, it can change very, very quickly. So that's number one. Number two would be, we just see a lot of people trying to do it alone. There's so much good information out there. There's so many smart people out there and we're all in this together doing, you know, the same things, right? And so we're, we're facing the same challenges. And so, you know, tapping into your network, if you have an, a network of, you know, Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers, you know, whether it's a Facebook group or whether it's a local meetup group, you know, lean on each other, reach out to each other. I think that's another really, really big one. And then with that theme of doing it alone, we see a lot of solopreneurs, right? Who, who contact us and, you know, we assess their business and their structure and it's just them doing it alone. They're doing everything. They're doing customer service sometimes, you know, for their Amazon orders. They're managing PPC themselves. Like they're doing everything and they, they know they want to build the audience. They want to do this other stuff, but they don't have time because they're stuck in Amazon. They're afraid to make that first hire, that second hire. So whether it's a part-time contractor or whether you're doing you know bigger volumes and you can hire an agency out there to like really do it for you the right way, just start with where you are at so that you can grow something that's bigger and beyond yourself. You know, if I had to pick three, there's a lot of them, but those are those are three that I would say. Yeah, I love that. So basically, build a brand so you have a. It's always 
I always find brand to be hard to define because I say like, well, what's a brand? They go, well, you should have good supply chain. You should have an audience. You should have a good product. You should... I'm like, well, that's just a business, right? Like, what's the difference between if you're just doing the straight, like pick a product and throw it on Amazon and try to get cash versus like building a brand? Like, What, what are like some big characteristics that are that like really distinguish the difference between the two? Yeah, I mean, number one would be do you have an audience that you, if you could, do you have an audience that if I asked you tomorrow, could you go communicate with your customer base? Could you do that? So I think that's number one. If you can't do that, because you only have Amazon orders and Amazon's restricting the amount of info that you get on customers and the limiting what you can do to contact them, then I would say like, that's not a really good indicator and you should start planning for that. But yeah, I mean, a brand is something where, where you, you know, you have your place in the marketplace, like you know who your target customer is and you are trying to serve them, not just with one product, but with multiple products, right? So typically brands have at least a few products where it can really help a customer in their journey. So yeah, those are just a few of the the guidelines. There's a lot more out there that could apply to bigger brands, but those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, I, I agree. I think having, so I, I like to define it as a consistent product line with a consistent style to a consistent audience, right? And so like you said, audience, I also think like having kind of the same group of products. So if you're selling baby wipes, you don't want to then also sell a push-up bar and a car air freshener, right? And a garlic press. Those things aren't really consistent product line. Even if you're selling baby wipes, you'd want to sell diaper pails and diaper, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what else there is. <laughs> baby space, but uh, something that's consistent and also the same audience and then also the consistent style, I think makes it really nice to have it all kind of similar feeling around it. Cool. I think brands are a lot more sellable as well. People want to buy a brand, not, not 10 different products that were just cash flow plays on Amazon. So if you want to build a sellable asset and that's who we're trying to work work with and help with our clients to build that asset you'll be a heck of a lot more sellable for a higher multiple if you actually have a brand weighted behind it yep completely agree with that okay another thing i want to ask you about you mentioned dsp ads can you explain you had like a nice little fun tip about that can you explain what they are and how to not use them correctly and how to use them correctly yeah, so you have Amazon PPC ads, and then you also have now Amazon DSP advertising. So it's it's basically a different advertising sort of portal or channel that not everyone has access to currently. You have to uh, you know request access to to get it. But what's really really cool about the DSP ads is there's some functionalities and opportunities that aren't with Amazon PPC traditionally. So number one is Amazon retargeting ads. So you can actually you know, physically retarget with an ad any, anyone that visited your product listing but did not purchase the product. So you can run ads to them to try to bring them back in to purchase your product. So that's number one. And then you can also really run some really cool video ads and really targeted ads as well through that platform. So those are a couple of the things that make it different. So if you want to apply for Amazon DSP, you can do that. Just Google it, Amazon DSP. But I think their current minimum to commit to it, to have Amazon manage it for you, I believe is $30,000 or a $35,000 advertising budget. That's like the, the amount you're signing for that I promise to, to give you this much money and you spend it Amazon and hopefully make me money back. It's like similar to you know what Amazon AMG used to do. 
Wait, is it thirty five thousand a year or a month or what? I believe it's in like a three month period. That was the latest quote that we heard from from one of our clients that contacted us about it. Okay. So yeah, it might be around fifteen grand a month, or it was ten, you know, twelve grand a month, something like that. But typically, it was a total budget of around thirty five thousand. Was my last understanding. I might be off by five thousand or so on that, but it was a really big ad spend budget to commit to if you're not sure that it will even be profitable or work. So there are workarounds to that. So if you can get access to someone that has the self-managed Amazon DSP, so luckily our company Turnkey, we were able to get approved and we're, we're one of the few providers of that where we have self-managed DSP because we can bring multiple clients at once to Amazon. They were able to basically wipe out that minimum spend budget so we can do as little as like 2000 or 3000 bucks a month as far as like a test budget. And when we're doing it for retargeting ads, like we're, we're seeing really, really good ACOSs. We had one client, nice. yeah, I just looked at the report like a few days ago and in their first month of doing it, their ACOS was around, I think like 12% or 13% because the retargeting ads were so, so successful. So it's just an opportunity to, like that's part of the key of Amazon is knowing what are the different opportunities that pop up and being one of the first movers there. So yeah, so that's that's something you know to look into if you're and I would say it's not for everybody. Like you should only do it if you're really if you have like a good conversion rate on your product page and you already have some pretty good track record with Amazon PPC ads. Like if you're getting good profitability there, then there's a good likelihood that you'll see the same on Amazon DSP. But if you're like just starting out, it may not be you know the, the best fit. But yeah, we're, we're we're happy to always look at at your company and your situation to see if it's a good fit for you or not. If anyone wants to to contact us, we can you know, let you know like if that makes sense or maybe that's three months down the road for you. Awesome. Okay, so the DSP is basically a special ad program. Does retargeting? Retargeting is when someone like someone comes to your. It's like they come into your front door of your of your business. And they don't buy anything. Uh, I guess you can retarget people who purchase as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess anytime someone comes in the front door of your of your business, we're talking about brick and mortar stuff, and they leave, you can then have like a billboard show up on their way home or the way to work and stuff like that. But it's targeted only to the people who came into the front door of your of your shop, right? So it has a pretty high conversion rate. And unfortunately, Amazon makes us spend like $15,000 a month or something on that. But if you go through an agency, it can be drastically lower than that. So that's that's super cool. Is it just on your website or is there some other resource we can look at? Yeah. If anyone's interested, I would just go to our website, turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash apply. And that's why you just you fill it out and let us know, like, hey, I'm interested in this or I'm interested in you know whatever you're interested in it. by any means, you know, let us know and then we'll... See if it's a good fit and hop on a call, if so, to let you know, like, yeah, here's how it would work. Or uh, we think you're a good fit or we think you're not a good fit. Sometimes, you know, people are not a good fit for Amazon DSP. So we really have to take a look. Awesome. Cool. So, Jeff, I like to ask everyone three, the same three questions. And I don't know if I I think I forgot to tell you, so you might not have anything prepped for this. But let's see. (laughs) The same three questions I ask everyone. The first one is always, what is Jeff's big why? Why do you run this agency? Why are you doing this instead of working some nine to five somewhere? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, for me, I mean, I I just enjoy helping other people, working with people and providing good service to them so that they can help accomplish their goals. Then by that default, I'm usually able to accomplish mine and then help my team who I'm paying, you know, their bills as well. So we can all win together if we can all, you know, if I can help provide an amazing service for them. 
then they're able to you know change their business, change their lives, you know have a sellable business that they could you know hopefully retire on one day. That's really really cool to see that we're able to you know make a change in someone's life and actually so multiple lives just with one client you know because there's such a spillover effect. So yeah, I just love you know sort of just talking about talking shop with Amazon and and marketing and uh, it's just yeah what I like doing. Nice, I love that. The next question I love asking people. What's some media we can consume right now? So like I'm thinking books, podcasts, website, blog, whatever it is. Like what are some of your like your favorite things that you love reading or have read or continue to read today? Yeah, I mean, I love Audible. I love podcasts. So I listen to a lot of like Ryan Moran stuff and following him for years. Capitalism.com. Um, yeah, capitalism.com. Yep. They just, he's the real deal. It's a lot of great stuff and helps a lot is of people. This- didn't he change the name of his podcast, like the 1% or capitalism or he like, I thought he just changed the name of his podcast. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's got the 1% podcast. I think he's maybe got a couple different ones where he tries to talk about different subjects. But uh, yeah, I think he just at capitalism.com, I think they'll probably list whatever, whatever the latest name is, they'll have it there. But yeah, as far as books, oh, I also love the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. And I don't know if you've heard that, but then they also came out with a podcast. I think it's called the One Thing Podcast mm-hmm. with, with Jeff Woods. And uh, I really enjoy listening to that. It's more about like time management, productivity, and some really, really great tips. And that book is is amazing. It's one of the you know, best-selling books I ever, nice. ever, ever, ever believe. Nice. And then uh, here I found the podcast here. It's capitalism, just capitalism.com. So you'll, you'll see it. And there's I'm showing the video right now that there's just a picture of Ryan Moran. Also, can you read... What's on my, I don't know if you can read it very well. It's written on my whiteboard. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing so everything else would be easier and necessary. So that is the, the you've obviously read the one thing. <laughs> nice. And we did not, we did not set that up. So wow, that's book, crazy. his book choice was the one thing. <laughs> the main quote from that is literally written on my wall right behind wow. me. Wow, that that is absolutely <laughs> insane. I literally didn't see it because I couldn't read yeah, it from, yeah. from the interview. But wow, that's crazy. Oh, and then I'm going to have you on my podcast very soon. I think we'll, we'll be publishing it as soon as we can. But the Playbook for Amazon podcast, we're going to have you as a guest. So I get to pick your brain for once. And that would be a fun episode. Awesome. Yep. Okay. So that's going to be an actionable thing. Go ahead and go listen to Jeff's podcast and go ahead and tell us again which, what that podcast is. Go download it right now if you want. Yeah, it's the playbook for Amazon podcasts. And it's on our website, turnkeyproductmanagement.com or all the podcast apps out there these days. So And I'll have a I'll have a link in the show notes as well. All righty, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for helping us with coronavirus stuff and giving us some actionable tips on how to build brands and how to handle this world we live in today. <laughs> Yeah, we will get through it. And I, I hope that six months, a year from now, we'll be looking back, smiling and, and laughing at, you know, wow, you know, hopefully that, that came to a halt and we all got through it and everything's okay. You know, I think that will happen. We just got to do it together. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.